Hey there guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week, roll your sleeves up. If you're into crypto, if you're into blockchain, if you're into NFTs, then you want to get a glimpse of what the future really looks like. This is going to be part of our interview series where I'm talking to a gentleman who is a Silicon Valley legend, has been in the game for an awful long time, serial entrepreneur, but most importantly, is at the absolute vanguard of change making and forward thinking when it comes to the use of NFTs. In fact, Vatoms is something that he's actually created in the NFT space. You're going to be blown away at the vision of this. And if you're someone like me uh, that perhaps is a more traditional investor, derivatives in stocks, listed securities, this really just blows the lid off of that way of thinking to show what the future really is not going to look like but is happening right now take as many notes as you can there's a huge amount of ground to cover i know you're going to love this see you on the other side okay guys welcome to money and investing and this week uh, i'm very very privileged uh to have a wonderful guest eric pullier we've spoken previously uh about nfts obviously blockchain and crypto a flavor of the month but rather than get my take on it we're going straight to the lava flow we're across the pacific ocean talking to one of california's finest uh, an entrepreneur and a thought leader and change maker in the world of uh crypto or not so much crypto but certainly in terms of the blockchain technology so please help me welcome my special guest mr eric pullier welcome along eric thank you so happy to be here so uh, you're joining us live from over in the US. Tell, tell us a little bit. I mean, obviously, the big news everywhere is Bitcoin is doing this and that. But I think that might be a bit of a Trojan horse for the real game in town, which is, of course, the underlying technology. What's your take on it? Well, we, we certainly think so. I mean, the, the underlying technology is extraordinary. The idea of a, bit, of, a, of a blockchain has been around for quite some time now, which now gives us enough time to know that it has not been broken like the theoretical security uh, aspects of a blockchain, of what it creates in, in terms of the inability to have a double spend of a coin or of a, 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 a entry in a ledger. It's something that unless you have the test of time and everybody of all the best hackers, et cetera, trying to break it, uh, you don't really know. Theoretically, you know, and, and the genius of it was apparent to, to many certainly to me, very early on, but the, the proof's in the pudding. The time has now tested this. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, it is digital gold. This will stand the test of time, and there will only be 21 million Bitcoins ever. So unlike uh, printing currency from a, say, a fiat uh, type of um, monetary uh, value, you, you really have something here where you know with great transparency, how many there are and how many there's going to be. So it, it matters. <laughs> but as you say, the underlying technology is so much more powerful than having a, what you might call a fungible token uh, that can be moved around. Bitcoin is, is amazing. But what you can do with the underlying concept of a blockchain is even more amazing. Hmm. I think when, when, when there's huge innovation technology-wise, and look, I have to agree with you, despite being someone that spent their life in the world of paper assets, seeing the volume of money being printed um, you know, by uh, you know, the Federal Reserve and, and various central banks around the world, you do wonder what the future is of mainstream cash in, in the traditional sense uh, versus uh, effectively what something is almost like a gold standard where it's backed with something where the scarce, scarcity of supply is arguably what's been ratcheting the price. 
with all of these things, there's always a, a lead in, and I guess crypto as a currency has been the thing that's brought blockchain technology to the fore and made it something that isn't what the geeks in Silicon Valley are talking about, but something that's actually tangible uh, that people are spending money and making money with in the case of crypto. But like anything, I guess it gets bastardized then into a break apart as to what else can we use this thing for? Now, you mentioned uh, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, which uh, we spoke of a couple of weeks ago. And this is something that was, was totally new to me. As a thought leader, as a, a change maker in this space, tell us a little bit about what NFTs are in the first instance. Sure. So if you think about Bitcoin, every Bitcoin is the same as every other Bitcoin. So if you tell me, I'll give you this Tesla for X Bitcoin, you won't say, but I want them to be these Bitcoin. Same thing as you say, if you give me X dollars, you don't care if it's this set of dollars or that set of dollars, presuming that it's not counterfeit. Uh, same thing with gold. One ounce of gold is one ounce of gold. Uh, which ounce of gold doesn't matter. But when you get to a notion of a difference between the tokens, uh, what, what you call fungibility uh, starts to become important. So a, a fungible token is one that is like every other, a non-fungible token is where everyone is unique. Okay. The way that the Bitcoin blockchain works is it puts a, um, an entry in a ledger hmm. and it has a, a cryptographic uh, scheme, a, a gamified scheme that allows us to believe that it's there forever and it hasn't been altered and that you can trust that it hasn't been reproduced and you can use that for authenticity purposes of a fungible token, which is a Bitcoin. However, if you want that to represent something uh, that there's differences between them, let's say a piece of art, then you want that one piece of art to not be the same as its counterfeit version, right? A Mona Lisa is a Mona Lisa, but a picture of a Mona Lisa is not the same. And so this is what's really given rise to this notion of a non-fungible token. Early on in this uh, journey, uh, I was very uh, interested in the applications of blockchain to the enterprise and to large companies and governments. And I saw the enormous complexity of shifting society to, come, you know, to become more decentralized in terms of its thinking of how these various uh, um, systems might work. But what I really got excited about, and this was in 2015, was kind of a realization that I had, which is, well, what if we could use the blockchain to actually bring a Bitcoin alive. In other words, to make it not boring. Right now, if you, you've never seen a Bitcoin. Have you ever held one in your hand? If you poke it, it doesn't say, ouch, there's nothing uh, physical about it in terms of how the brain perceives it. But if you could make a Bitcoin come alive and it could come alive with 3D graphics, animation and sound, let's say it was a beer. And if I could make that beer and I give it to you and I don't have it anymore and you give it to the bartender and get a real beer, now we've got a chain of, of ownership and commerce that will completely change the world. It'll change how ticketing works. It'll change how commerce works. It'll change how collectibles work and art collecting works. And so many things that relate to the movement of value of, of, of difference of unique authenticatable items. And so there's two types, uh, or there's a number of types of uh, non-fungible tokens. Um, and, and how you use them. So one would be where the non-fungible token is associated with digital assets. So you might have a digital beer or a digital butterfly or a digital trading card. 
Okay, so we've seen the talk of the you know the basketball player. Anyone that's been watching Last Dance will be familiar with Michael Jordan's position as he's slumming another one in the hoop, and and you've got the ability to buy that image and own that unique image, which is yours forever and a day. It can't be counterfeit. You can obviously transact that in in just the same way as a traditional baseball card, but done very contrarian to what most people's views would be, probably in a more secure way. Yeah, and, and it's yes. interesting you spoke about right at the outset, the security surrounding this technology. It's been right. impregnable so far. And, and it's probably been tested pretty hard in that space, given the world of cyber um, you know, security that we live in. And yes. it's been that test of time versus uh, you know, a fake baseball card that could look like an incredible uh, look, just like the original, but isn't quite the same. So in a way, and there's, there's no way to verify well, that's exactly right. You, it might look exactly the same. And if you have a physical version of it, there's no real way to know that it isn't counterfeit. Or if there is, it's really quite difficult. And it'll almost by the laws of physics, it will degrade. Like over time, unless you encase it in a vacuum, mm. uh, it will degrade. Uh, the digital counterpart will last forever. Yeah. You don't have to spend the time, money, and energy to make sure it doesn't uh, degrade. You just have to make sure you don't lose the wallet you know, that you have access to. Um, and what we're seeing is people are starting to recognize that digital goods have no less value than physical goods, as long as they have the same key qualities as physical goods. And so dissolving that boundary between the digital and physical will open up trillions of dollars of value right now. Hmm. Uh, the reason why we call the experiential NFTs atoms is it's short for virtual atom. You have things made out of atoms, that have qualities that the human brain equates with value, scarcity, authenticity. It can only be in one place at one time. If I give it to you, I don't have it anymore. If I look away and then I look back, it's still there. So it has a persistence to it, right? A, a physical good. And you can, you, you can wrap your head around like I have it and, and, and I can sell it to someone else. Normally virtual goods have had a problem with uh, potentially being duped and potentially like a, obviously a JPEG, you can make a thousand copies or an MP3. It's created a lot of issues with, with, with security. But when you have an NFT, you have absolute assurity that it is the only one. Yeah. And once you can do that, you actually have this, um, this ability to say, I own this, you don't. <laughs> and if you want it, you have to pay me. Now, one of the things that we've put forward and believe for now over five years is that as people start to recognize that virtual goods have just as much or more value than physical goods when they're, when they're secured and authenticated in this manner, they're gonna also recognize that a glut of goods like this will flood the market. So how do you know what has value and what will, what, what doesn't? Uh, everyone who's got a five-year-old kid will draw on the, you know, at the breakfast table or something and tokenize it, send it in, see what they can get. So you're gonna have trillions of these objects trading like mad. And the difference will be what, what is experiential? What has a story? Mm. A very wise uh, man by the name of Gordon Bowen, who's the chief creative officer of Dentsu, once said that if you take an object and you infuse it with story, that's what makes a treasure. Mm. That's how a human, that's how a human uh, starts to define the world and starts to engage. It's the story around it, the narrative around it, what makes it interesting and engaging. So that's what we call a VATOM, which is an experiential programmable NFT. 
Let, let, let's circle back on that in just a moment because there's, there's a, a big demographic shift, I believe, too, that that, that, that that type of experiential thing appeals to. And just step back to it for a moment, talking in regards to NFTs, um, about the preservation of, of the good itself. Now, as an investor, and my game is invested, that's what I do, and we advise people on that, obviously. People often pick up collectibles as a store of value, not to look at them or enjoy them. Um, you know, in Australia, for example, the regulations, if you collect art within your retirement fund is that you can't hang it on the wall. It's got to go in a vault to meet the investment purpose as opposed to you enjoying it. And if you sell it, you make money and, and so be it. Um, one of the arguments against this kind of thing is, okay, you don't get to enjoy it, but in, in that context, you don't get to enjoy investment assets if it's in your retirement fund here either. It's sort of a way locked in the vault. Um, so having something that's not in your hands, a, a non-tangible, so to speak, is really no different from an investment perspective. Well, it is a bit different in that you can enjoy it. When you take a physical asset, as we were talking about, it can degrade. Mm. In, if, you, if you think of it as an investable asset, therefore, if someone backing you, they, they say, we'll put it in a warehouse where mm. you can't enjoy it. And the only reason for that is that it doesn't degrade. If you have well, a digital asset... On that too, the, the, the security of a digital asset is brilliant. I mean, I, I just saw the other day in the UK, there was a, and it broke my heart. I, I love cars. That's one of my weaknesses. And there was a warehouse of, of, of very rare collectible cars that was destroyed in a fire. And it's gone. And you can buy another car, but you can't buy Keith Richards' 1974 Ferrari Dino. It's gone. It was a one-off. It was unique and it wasn't safe. And I guess, again, there's a huge shift in belief systems that sometimes things that are online can be far safer than something that's in a warehouse somewhere. Well, that's right. And more experiential. So if, if it's in a warehouse, obviously, by definition, you have to move your meat body to the atoms. Mm. If you have something made out of atoms, virtual atoms, then you can actually display it in, in augmented reality in your room and you can see it. Or you can put it up on your, your big screen TV and you can display it you know, for your enjoyment. Or more importantly, as we're starting to find, you can interact with it. Mm. These objects are not just depictions of something. They're something that, as I said, like when I, when I started this conversation, I said, you've never seen a Bitcoin. You can't poke it in. It says, ouch. You can poke an NFT and say, what the heck? Poke mm. your back. These things can actually move. They can combine and uncombine. If it's raining, it could hold an umbrella. Uh, if, if, if your favorite baseball player, uh, or uh, I guess rugby, where you're coming from, <laughs> um, has a great day, suddenly he could be holding a Coca-Cola and you could take the Coca-Cola out of the NFT, bring it to the convenience store and get a real Coca-Cola. Hmm. So these, these things are not only non-fungible NFTs, non-fungible tokens, they're experiential in the sense that they change state based on real world events, stock score, stock, stock prices, weather, baseball, you know, whatever. Uh, they can change by combining and uncombining. They can actually change by interaction with them. And you can have Easter eggs and surprising things. So for instance, if I gave you a hamburger and you say, well, that hamburger uh, can be redeemed for $4. So you might sell it for $4. But you can also think, well, this is not just a normal hamburger. It's an NFT. I can actually plant it in a hamburger uh, pot and with magic uh, water and I can grow it. Create a virtual farm. So what, it, the, the point is that they're they're highly programmable instruments of engagement, not just instruments of speculation, and that's what's going to create trillions of dollars of value. Not that the market's going to be flooded with every possible doodle that someone can make and see what people will buy it for, 
is that people are going to unleash formerly uh, a dormant uh, imagination on what these things can be and become. And that's what we're about to see. This is fascinating. And I know for a, for a lot of our followers, it's, it's a head spin. And I guess that's why we've come to the, to the volcano and right to the head of the lava flow rather than trying to create the narrative around this. And I really appreciate your insights and uh, the, the energy just coming through listening to this. You can, it, you don't, it, it runs in your veins. It's fascinating to, to, to really be uh, party to, to, to hearing this. The underarching technology with blockchain and, and the ability to trace or follow revenue lines or the ownership of the asset. Having a conversation, we, we, we do a, a fair bit of charitable work through our foundation. And one of the biggest challenges is making sure that the money, for example, gets to the root cause of what you're donating to. And that's been a very big topic here in Australia where you, know, you donate a dollar by the time the admin fee comes out and everything else, you're lucky if 20 or 30 cents makes its way to, yeah. to the beneficiary that you very generously donated to. How do you see this kind of technology playing out, for example, in, in that context to be able to provide uh, a solution? Well, really, uh, it'll make a fundamental impact. When you're talking about moving fiat currency in its current form, uh, first of all, it's much harder to track. Uh, it, it, it hits a number of intermediaries that all take a piece. You can do a piece for the, the bank that, that, that moves it, the bank that receives it, the intermediaries that move it between the banks, the people that then get it and then move it to the next place, verify this and that, the other thing. By the time you're done, uh, everybody's taking a cut of this thing. And uh, there's also opportunities for other people to intervene with all sorts of rules and regulations, but also just uh, uh, functions, right? When you have a direct relationship between the giver and the receiver, the sender from one wallet and the receiver in another wallet, a couple things happen. First, with fungible tokens, you cut out the middleman and you have much lower fees and you can send that money, which is why there's an enormous amount of activity in the blockchain space around international remittance. The, the, the huge amount of money that's being sucked out of the system by intermediaries can be given back to the people who need it most. Most of the money that moves uh, between say US and Mexico or US and South America uh, is not just going for corporate purposes. It's going to people who need it, who actually are getting money uh, taken from them for sustenance. So this is really important technology to get the money, as you say, for charitable purpose where it goes. But now you can go one step farther with an NFT. Remember, an NFT is not, it's not money is money. It's that this money is different than that money. So now I can manifest it visually. So if I know that your story, think of story again, your story is that you can't get to school because you don't have bus fare. And this guy's story is that he needs school books. And this guy's story is that he needs food. So now you can put policy and visualization around the money. I can send you school books, which can be used for these purposes, but not for that. I can send you electricity credits that can be, that can be you know, actually used for that or traded for gas credits. And, and, if, and based on the rules, of course, you might be able to use it for a bus fare or what have you, but, but not for that. So as you, as you start to recognize that not only can you move things from place to place, it's more traceable, more programmable, and, and, and more effective. Okay, so well, you can probably hear the cogs ticking in my head from, uh, from way over there. If you took this forward further and think about say a welfare system, and obviously the welfare system in the US is, is somewhat different to that here in Australia. 
well, let's say you're in a position where you're unemployed and you're receiving a benefit. So you would be able to pay, for example, benefit in this format to say you can use this for food, for electricity, maybe not for tobacco, not for alcohol, not at the casino um, and, and, and various other, um, you know, maybe more legal things that you may do with that money. And, and really direct exactly where that welfare check is going so that, that, that it's getting to the actual root cause of need. That's exactly right. The, the most important aspect of that is not only the programmability of money, but the fact that you're giving it to a wallet owned by a person who has the wallet, not necessarily a person who has a traditional identity profile. Very hard to get things to people who don't have an identity, right? Mm -hmm. Be able to distribute identity that is owned by the individual uh, in an extremely democratized manner and a safe manner is really one of the more important things about blockchain. Mm -hmm. Blockchain-based identity ultimately will be the most important aspect of the blockchain revolution. Once we can distribute that to everyone, which means that you're a, you're a person, I don't care if you're a person in Zimbabwe or a person in, in South America or a person in New Jersey, you're a person. And you're a person now who has a wallet, who can be addressed, who can tell their story, who can then receive value which is policy-based money. Now, because you're also a person, this is, this is something that I think is important for your listeners to understand. Uh, you're also now participating for the first time in the global economic system. You've been disenfranchised as a kind of huge percentage of the world. Yeah. We're now bringing you into that global financial system to be able to participate it, not only as a receiver of, let's say, uh, charity, but as someone who can now pay for things with microtransactions, become an entrepreneur, get loans, even earn interest. The, the decentralized finance trend is where trillions of dollars will be made in the next, I would say, five years. Uh, and and not, an, in, not a small por portion of that in half that time. This is going at a faster exponential curve than I've ever seen in my lifetime. The, the, the pace of change in this whole space since you know, maybe Four, year, four or five years ago when crypto first sort of popped up and it was on the fringes and very marginal to just this week seeing Coinbase you know, list on the exchange it is a total mainstreaming. And I, I totally agree that the, the pace of change and innovation with this is mind-blowing. It's just started. It's only just started. And if you want to find the origins of some of the um, reasons for this and why we're so clear about where it's going, a lot of this is, is reproducing the existing financial system, just doing it without intermediaries, but with the same need for KYC, for, for adhering to regulatory constraints, for, for making sure that there's no fraud. You know, you still want to make sure that you have a fair system and that you're not violating laws and that you're within the, the constraints of the regulatory bodies of the countries that you're operating, right? But that doesn't mean you need graft. That doesn't mean you need intermediaries taking the money from in between or you need uh, inefficiencies. You can create an entirely new world that, that's, that's, that, that kind of displaces this old, clunky, horrific set of chewing gum and Rube Goldberg machines as how the world works today. People think it's efficient. It's actually horrendous. Mm. It, that is a huge shift from, I guess, the earlier narrative that you know, crypto in particular used for illicit transactions and it's all dodgy. And you should be careful of it because if you have a blockchain ID, say, for example, from a money laundering perspective, it is unique. It can't be hacked and fudged and disguised. It is what it is. So if there's... Yeah, the, the, there's there are bad apples everywhere. Mm -hmm. You do need to be very careful when you invest in crypto. The same way you have to be careful when you invest in anything. 
Absolutely. There are charlatans, there are people bending the rules, there are, you know, when things move fast, there are people that look for angles mm. and try to do things that are not on the up and up. By no means is this a get rich quick scheme uh, that ought to, you know, people ought to jump in and hope that they'll, you know, get a, a fast return. If you do your homework and you really know who you're investing with and why and, and, and the ins and outs of why they're responsible and why compliance is at the top of their list and they're working with the right authorities to do this in a way that will stand the test of time. And be, even though there's a revolution in technology, we need an evolution in adoption in order to do this you know, carefully yeah. and to make sure you know, you know who, 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 who the team is. That's what's so important right now. And one of the things uh, we, we touched on earlier with, with your, your business and uh, vetominc.com is the site for your company. And I'd certainly encourage our, our, our ecosystem, our tribe to go check it out. Um, is the ability to make things more experiential. And I think one of the big demographic shifts that we're seeing is that Generation Y and millennials aren't interested so much in stuff, it's experience-based. Do you see that as being a major momentum builder uh, for, for your sector, the sector that you're creating? Yeah, it's fundamentally important. Uh, what, what most people tend to realize at some point in their life, and I think it's happening earlier and earlier now, is that the most important quantity you have, the, the most important thing you have to invest is not your money, it's your time. And if you put the limited amount of time you, left, you have left on this earth into something, damn well better be worth it. So when brands and people are saying, hey, click on this for a million dollars, or please try this, or please do that, this advertising, this noise, this marketing is creating a, a disengagement. It's noise for people. Like, I'm not giving you my time. I tried that. My parents tried that. My grandparents tried that. It doesn't work. I want my time to be closer aligned with my purpose, with my reason for being here, or at least something that, that gives me uh, a reason. Uh, so what we think is that it's going to be turned on its head. This internet of value that the, that the blockchain ushers in will allow us to move value to you for your time in a much more succinct manner. If I ask you, please click on this, please do that. Uh, please, please give me your time, the most precious thing you have on earth for uncertain value. You'll say, I don't think so. But if I say, how about if I give you a coffee, if I give you something tangible for no time, certain value for no time, even if you don't drink coffee, let's well, say I'll take a coffee because it didn't take me any time. And because of the nature of crypto, if it's a non-fungible token, you can give it to someone else. It's better to give than receive anyway. So if it took you no time, you take it. You, you it might change it to something you do want. Maybe somebody scores in your favorite team or, or it sprouts uh, you know, additional things that you like. It could be gamified. Or maybe you give it to your brother and, and therefore you got credit. But because it didn't take time, you now did it. Now, here's what's important. If you take something like a VATOM, a non-fungible token, into your life and you opt in for that value-based relationship with the giver, you now have a, a positive relationship, right? So now they can give you more things without intermediaries. So you don't have to go through Facebook or go through Google or go through Instagram. You now have that relationship, a one-to-one -one first party data relationship. It's very, the way I think about it is very much like a, a wedding registry. No one ever went to a wedding, bought somebody something from their wedding registry and then heard from the, the, the bride that said, how dare you invade my privacy? You took something off my wedding registry and used my information and bought me a gift. That never happened. Same thing here. If you request something and someone gives it to you, that's not a privacy violation. That's a thank you exchange, right? Gratitude instead of annoyance. That's what a VATM does. It moves from annoyance to gratitude and, and to a relationship of value between the giver and receiver. 
And that's why the largest brands in the world, really the largest brands, uh, telcos like Vodafone, Nestle, PepsiCo, um, uh, Unilever. In, in Australia right now, you could be you could run around the streets and see floating augmented reality NFTs from Ben and Jerry's, and you can find them in augmented reality. This is literally happening right now, and take them into your wallet as NFTs. Move over to uh, physically go to a Ben and Jerry's and get a real ice cream, or collect some and sell them on Ethereum and maybe make a million dollars. Who knows? <laughs> You know, so this this is becoming not only mainstream, but but practical. This opens up a whole different set of lenses for looking at the world of, say, marketing and particularly permission based marketing, where instead of bombarding people with adverts they don't want to see, you've got the ability to opt in and, and take what you want without wasting time. And it's and the reciprocity from the marketer's perspective is potentially huge. It's, I mean, this is this is a game changer compared so, to you know, the likes of Facebook or other online marketing. There you go. It's a, the future of human engagement. Or I actually used to say it's the future of human, engage, of human engagement. This is what's happening across the board, across Fortune 500 companies, across the, 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 the local shop that's trying to attract, you know, attention and build uh, an audience. But more importantly, where within your phone. So we just uh, signals just breaking it up. Actually moves fluidly within what we would call a social canvas. Good. Are we okay? Yeah, we are. We're back. We're good. Okay. It, 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 it's incredible. I mean, to try and take this last sort of 30 minutes or so and break it down into bite size digestible chunks for lay people like myself, it, you sort of think, here's something that's a very marginal concept, at least it would seem, but as you explain it and realize how mainstream, and you think about it, it's almost like a barter system in the 21st century where you can exchange value very easily in a very liquid market with no transaction fees, yes. with but, total security. But you, that's exactly right, but think about it. When you exchange value, who are you exchanging it with? The value is currently a social phenomenon. The social aspect of, of value really has to come together in another way. So the, the internet itself, right? The, the World Wide Web started as static pages. They, they was just an HTML markup language. Then they became dynamic and interesting and more engaging. Then you were able, you were able to do commerce. You are able to do semantic understanding of what you're writing and AI-driven pages. The next generation of the internet, the, the evolution of where the internet of value comes is what we call spatial web. The spatial web is a social environment that you actually go into with other people and can exchange value within that. We won't see a website in the coming years that doesn't have a come on inside button where you can come in with your NFTs, find others, exchange them, trade, and, and move them seamlessly between AR and VR, between the real world overlay and into virtual experiences, all social together. Now, this is not science fiction. This is not, oh, and someday, check back with me in three years. We're talking about today. Mm -hmm. For instance, the largest um, uh, uh, confluence of advertisers and media people uh, in the world is the Cannes Lions. That's where they give out the, the main awards and where everyone comes together and says, what's next? That's happening in this type of environment this year with NFTs, with uh, uh, virtual reality, uh, but in a type of virtual reality we call spatial web, 
This is part of what Vadim's promises, but it's part of what Vadim's is delivering today. That's why we're so excited about this is, is because after five years, we're seeing the entire world adopt it. And it's just a, a, a it's just an avalanche. From a, from an investor's perspective, um, from, from our audience, uh, how would someone that wants to invest in this or get exposure to it, be able to use it as a, as a, as a, a wealth building tool? Oh, there's so many ways. Um, the first thing I would, I would caution anyone putting money into anything is to, to, to stop <laughs> and to step back and don't, uh, you know, buy into the hype or whoever is in front of you at the moment, really take the time to do your own research and understand what it is, no matter how good it is, it may go down for some period of time and you'll lose, never invest anything that you can't afford to lose. Mm. So look at, look at the, the field uh, as I do, I think as net positive over time, like if people invest in the S&P 500, like, like uh, advice from Warren Buffett, like don't look at it every day. <laughs> like this is going, if you believe as I do that the world is undergoing a fundamental shift, you can make some sound investments with sound people. Now, there's different ways to play in this game. You can invest in companies privately or now publicly, Coinbase and others. You can also invest in the token economy. You can look at companies who have tokens and try to decide if those tokens are in some way correlated to the actual benefits of the company. Remember, tokens are not equity. You're not, you, when you invest in a shares in a company, those shares go up and down in direct relation to the company. Tokens are really uh, uh, go up and down based on something we call token economics, which is their scarcity and sentiment value with similar to stocks in that way, but they're really very different. Um, they're, they're not securities for the most part. They are assets that are used, you know, utilities within the ecosystem of a blockchain community. And so if you can really understand that and find tokens that are associated with companies you believe in, uh, very often over time, in my opinion, you, you might do well there as well. But, but primarily, I think the right thing to do is to look for companies and management teams that align with your philosophy of what you know and what you believe is going to be the way we, we live, the way we interact with each other and the environment. Sage advice. And, and again, it's great when you have someone that's, uh, well, a serial entrepreneur, highly successful at that in your space, take it back to tin techs of, you know, play the game the sensible way, be patient, do your research, careful what you invest, and, and I guess making sure your uh, values are aligned. One final comment I'd love to ask, um, we'd, love, uh, we'd love to borrow those glasses because this ability to see into the future, I can, oh, would you, wouldn't you just there love you There we go, the magic glasses. Awesome. They do the trick, they do the trick. You know, these glasses come uh, on, the, on the shoulders of giants. If you look back on the origins of this stuff, don't forget that people have been buying and selling virtual goods within games, billions of dollars, long before they were freed from the, the confines of the silos of games and brought into the NFT world. People, great, amazing pioneers, geniuses like Brock Pierce, who really pioneered the world of buying and selling goods within games and then broke that into the blockchain revolution as one of the leaders there. Or people like Craig Sellers, who actually recognized that, that the, the standards around blockchains would not do it. Like you could not actually trade a non-fungible uh, commodity on Bitcoin and, and, and brought something forward uh, called MasterCoin that was the beginnings of what all of us stand upon. So we, we stand on the shoulders of giants and we thank them, but it's getting, it's getting pretty tall up here right now. It's a lot of fun. I can well imagine. I can well imagine. And uh, uh, very modest you are too. We appreciate that. Eric, thank you so much for sharing 
everyone's most precious commodity and particularly yours, I know how busy and time time you can be uh, to spend you know, 40 or so minutes explaining this through your lenses and the pretty good lenses I might add uh, is really invaluable for our tribe and I sincerely thank you on their behalf and we'll all be watching, hopefully not from the sidelines, but as participants in, in this virtual world and you never know, we might send you over a, uh, a, a virtual Budweiser or something like that. <laughs> so thank you. Please do and I'll, I'll send you interest. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time, Eric. Much appreciated. Okay. Have a great day. There you have it, guys. NFTs taken literally from the head of the lava flow. Hope you enjoyed this. Make sure you give us a review and a rating, and we'll see you next week.